0: We find love in those moments we share with one another, in those warm sunny days, those dark rainy nights, in the birth of a child, in the passing of a grandparent, in smiles, in tears, in joy, in pain. From those we live our lives with and from those we hardly know, we all know these different variations of love, but do we understand that as the church, love is more than this? It's more than a sense, more than a force. Love himself lives in us. Jesus lives in us, in those who, keep, uh, in those who take refuge in him. He is the one who loved us even unto death. And we are more than the world says we are. We no longer have to search in bitter longing and in restless wandering. Together, we gather literally in the communion and source of love. And while all people, black and white, Asian and Hispanic, among all races and in every nation, we all have the innate ability to love and be loved as we are all images of love. Only the church is perfected in love. You see Jesus came to establish and perfect that love in us. And while we ourselves still do not love perfectly, we are called to love perfectly. Not only to be an example to the world as tiny reflections of his great love, but to show each other Jesus and to ultimately give glory to God, who is himself an uncreated being, forever existent, never ending. While the world understands love, it cannot fully, because it has fallen, as we all are. But the mystery of love became flesh and made himself known to those whom he chose. And we, as the church, are to live in this fullness of love, to know love fully and endlessly. Again, all this is to preface our passage today, which can be found in 1 Peter 4, verses 7 through 11. And if you haven't already turned there, you can turn there now. And while you do that, I just wanted to ask you a question. How do we live in this love, and for what reason? This is an important matter because as we are about to read, we are called to show love towards one another, especially towards those in the church, which will bring glory to God. So let's dive in. I'll read the whole passage first, then I'll pray, and then we'll back up and explore more fully. as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who is the word. Thank you for penetrating our hearts and for coming into our lives and we ask that you stay there not just for us to stay where we are but to move closer to you as you are moving closer to us every single day lord quiet our hearts our minds our souls help us understand what you have for us not just today but every day in our entire lives lord we may not know the future but help us lean and trust you in the things that we do not understand and the things that we cannot control. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I'll read the first two verses again. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. I've been very interested in the art of storytelling since I was a kid. So I've learned about what makes a good story. And just like any good story, there is a beginning, middle, and end. It starts with the inciting incident A moment towards the beginning of the story when the event becomes the catalyst for the rising action. The part of the story that builds and builds and builds to the climax. The story of Abraham is that inciting incident. This is where God starts his journey, his redemptive plan by making a promise to a man to make his descendants as numerous as the stars and to bring salvation through his line. And stories like Moses, David, Jonah, Daniel, they all serve as the rising action building to this climax. This is all part of God's plan to redeem us, but it doesn't end there. At the peak of the story, when all hope seems lost, Jesus appears because he is the climax to this epic story of God's redemption. So when Peter says in verse 7, the end of all things is at hand, he's talking about the end of this story. And this brings uh, a new beginning. Eternity with Christ, a life without sin and death. He's talking about God's last redemptive act, which was started by Christ's life, death, and resurrection. This means that we, the church, are part of God's last redemptive act. We often take God's grace for granted, but we have to understand it wasn't always this way. There was a time before grace, a time before Christ, and there will be a time after this when we will all be judged. But while it's easy to get caught up in this statement about the end, Peter is simply writing this to set the stage. You see, the end is the motivation, this hope of eternal life that spawns how we are to live. Not to go into panic mode or to live like morality doesn't matter anymore. Rather, knowing that God is bringing history to a close in this last act of grace, it should encourage believers To act in love. First, through self-control and sober-mindedness. Why, though? Well, he says, for the sake of our prayers. You know, it's easy for people to become irrational when they believe the end is near. To start making the end our focus, instead of Christ. But knowing that the end will come should motivate us to intimate, devoted time of prayer where real, sensible reflection can happen, where we deepen our relationship with the Lord. Again, the end should not be what we are so wrapped up in. It's the end that should make us focus all the more on Christ, and we find our focus in prayer. But most of all, Peter says in verse 8, Peter is urging Christians to love one another earnestly, he says with zeal, effort, purpose, sincerity. Not failing to love, not backing away when people hurt us, but rather pushing in, not putting up walls between us and other people when we feel overstepped, but instead breaking down those boundaries, just as Jesus did for us. When all we did was sin against God, you know what he did? He moved in closer, so close he became flesh to be with us, Emmanuel. Peter says this type of love, loving with all that we have, refusing to give up on others, this love covers a multitude of sins. Now that's a big statement if you ask me. Loving earnestly covers sins? Yes. Can we even fathom that? But this love does not atone for sins. Our love cannot atone for our own sins. Rather, Peter is saying that this means the offenses of others are overlooked, forgotten, blotted out. The stab in the back you got from a coworker no longer defines or drives that relationship. What your friend said or did to you a year ago, maybe even to this day, no longer causes incessant bitterness inside of you. And in this way, you would be loving your fellow brothers and sisters as Christ has loved you. You see, this is a giving love. So first things first, having the hope of eternal life in Christ should motivate us to devoted prayer persistent love. From here, Peter goes on to explain what this type of love looks like. So I will continue with verse 9. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So there was this time, way back when, when I was about 10 years old, and a guy came over to look at our washer because something had went wrong with it. So my mom and him, it was during the day they went upstairs to the laundry, laundry room. Meanwhile, I rushed into the kitchen. I cut up all the vegetables and cheeses we had. I put together a little dish of appetizers, including crackers and dip. I put it on a large circular tray, and I rushed up before the man could slip away. Well, I got there in time, but I was met with two pairs of confused eyes, even slightly creeped out, like, what are you doing? Um, And so, long story short, that appetizer dish was untouched. I felt like I had just crossed a line. But if we've gotten to know each other a little by now, you may find that I still tend to do the same thing. I still tend to reach in. We don't know each other, who cares? Let's get together as if we've known each other for years. That's how I show hospitality. How do you show hospitality? Think about that for a moment. Now, while I was hospitable towards this man, I never knew. Peter is centering hospitality on the church community. You see, in a time when the church family relied on each other's generosity, when fellow Christians literally needed a bed to sleep in, food to strengthen themselves, practically speaking, Peter was motivating believers to keep supporting one another inside the body of Christ. Caring for our own families can be difficult, and tiresome. Now we are called to care for an even larger family? Yes, to care for everyone who is part of Be Free, and really everyone in the body of Christ. And he says, do so without grumbling. There may seem like we have obstacles in the way financial restraints, emotional limitations, or we may just not want to keep giving giving, giving. But while this culture says you deserve to take a break, you deserve to treat yourself, God is saying, care for my sheep. If someone is in need of help, be the one to be there for them. Keep being generous. Don't give up, because I never gave up on you. See, love does not complain even when we feel like we have the right to. Love keeps pushing in, keeps giving. Listen, everybody. Generosity is an overflow of the heart, not of what's in our pockets. We don't have to be wealthy to be rich in hospitality. And if we're rich in hospitality, we know that we're rich in love. And hear me out, we are more rich in love than anyone in this world. So let's love like that is true. Now, along with hospitality, there are other ways we love. Peter says every believer has been gifted and that there are many gifts that we have been given, not earned. Peter says these gifts are God's varied grace. And so we are responsible to use these spiritual gifts without restraint because God gave us these gifts to give away not to keep for ourselves. What I'm saying is this. It's a sin to stop pouring the wine in someone else's cup. A cup, that, uh, a wine that was given to us to pour, not to drink for ourselves. Now Peter goes on uh, in verse 11 with a few examples, such as speaking. Speaking what? Speaking oracles of God. Now I'm not saying that We are to speak the future like a fortune teller who sits in a dark back room with a crystal orb on the table. When he says oracles of God, he's saying, let's speak how God speaks with love. Let's speak the way God speaks in truth. Let's speak the words God speaks from scripture. Let's be open and honest with one another. Reminding each other of the great salvation we have in Jesus Christ. Another way of loving those in the church is by serving them. Opening our doors to one another, our availability, our time, even our families. Home group leaders, they are a great example. They exemplify what Peter is getting at here. But let's not just leave it up to the home group leaders to show us how it's done. We are called to practice acts of service also. There are people who still feel uncomfortable coming to service, and that's okay. But they may be lonely. What can we do in this time? How can we serve them? Let's call. That's probably the simplest and safest thing to do. Or maybe pay them a visit if they feel comfortable perhaps even on a regular basis. Yes, our time is valuable, but these people who we're giving our time to are even more so. God's people are worth the time, worth the money, worth our resources, because if God sacrificed everything, literally everything for us, we are called to do the same. But he will supply enough for us and he'll make sure to supply enough to share because he's the one who supplies strength. So let's love with all that we have, without reservation. It's because we have this hope of eternal life that we are free to live this way. Knowing that this hard and painful life will come to an end should encourage us to be all the more ready to give up everything. So yes, the end of this age is the cause for loving without restraint. But what is the effect? Well, let me continue with the middle of verse 11. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. This is it. Everything culminates in this. In what? God's glory. Just like we learned in Psalm 25, our deliverance is for God's own glory, our forgiveness is for God's own glory, so it is here. Our salvation is for God's own glory, our speaking oracles is for God's own glory, our acts of service are for God's own glory. God's own glory. God's own glory. glory. He deserves all praise and worship. You see, my friends, we all worship something. Some worship food, make it their whole lives, because in the end, it serves them and gives them pleasure. Money, so we can live comfortably. Education, so we can be smarter than the rest of them. Family and friends, so we can feel good about ourselves. Now, we all need food and money, education, others. But what I'm saying is, we tend to worship ourselves. Don't you see that? But with God, he demands everything from us. It may sound like he's taking for himself, but he's actually self-giving. And he showed us this through Jesus. By opening our hearts and lives to those around us, we are opening our hearts and lives to the head. Christ himself. When we actually die to ourselves, when we lay it all down for the sake of those around us. Brothers and sisters, we are imitators of God. How much more can we show our love and adoration to our Father than by doing these things? We are truly worshiping God in this way. When we call ourselves Christians, we are making a very bold claim. We are saying we are little Christs. We are the true worshipers. So when we love just like him, we give him glory because we are showcasing who he is to everyone around us. We are showcasing true love. You see, this world does not understand true love. Even us who have the source of love in us have a hard time loving truly. But unlike the world, we know how to. And we've seen him show us through his life, through his death, through his resurrection. So let's do that. Let's love the way Jesus loved us. Let's lay down our lives, our comforts, our resources. Though we are not perfect, or not. The perfect one, the Holy Spirit, will provide us the ability to love just as he has. Now time is finite, and a day will come when the things of this world will end. It will. But love will remain. Always. Let's be an example to the world. A world hungry for love. True love through self-giving, overflowing, unhindered, unrestrained love, we are worshiping God truly and fully. To him belong glory and dominion, now and forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray for us. Holy Father, in this time of uncertainty, and not knowing what the future may hold. We trust you, and we cling to your truths, to your word, to your love, more than any fascinations of this world. Lord, help us commit ourselves to devoted time of prayer.